You're listening to a two-episode special release podcast from Castle Hills Christian Church. The teaching is from Randy Garris, the director of the Life and Ministry Preparation Center at Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, honored to visit with you. I, uh, I don't know exactly in an hour what to hit, to be honest with you. Because my big rocks that matter the most to me, let me just let me just tell you what they are, basically. I kind of bumped across it this morning, but number one problem on marriages, bar none, is that love makes claims on you that you have to be a grown-up to do. And we blame each other, and we ignore the obvious. But there's not a man in this room that if you're shortchanging what the image of God looks on your, on your life, your wife gets shortchanged. Your kids get shortchanged. You got to grow up. You, you just have to grow up. And honestly, your wife can help you, and you can you you can learn much from her. But you're going to need other men to help you. Um, that's just a reality. Um, one of the realities is, is is gals. This culture is hard on women. It just it's it's tough. It's a broken culture. And because it's a broken culture, and not, not a lot of girls just have a fragileness or a callousness. Tends to be one of the two. And, and, and so what happens is there's not been enough healing in my own life, and so I think my husband is the one who's not measuring that. My husband is not. Well, that may be true, but that's, that's not the issue on the table. The issue on the table is did I ever come to wholeness? So the first big rock is you got to grow up. Here's the good news. We're a kingdom of resurrection people. I don't care the family you came from. I don't care your background. Lazarus still comes out of the tomb. And so there's a sense in which, Lord, would you do again? I, I, again, I'm, I know I'm kind of summarizing here, but we are every now and then go, God, I'd love to see a great big miracle like the dividing of the Red Sea or manna. And God says, well, those are neat miracles, but I have a more powerful miracle. I want to take an unholy man from an unholy world. I want to make him holy and put him back in an unholy world. That's still the biggest miracle. And lo and behold, that's what's happening in many of your lives. You know that story. And so the first big rock for, for a good marriage is, is you got to own your own maturity. Um, I grew up in a... In a, in a ranch background, I grew up with a dad who wasn't a Christian. Dad became a strong Christian. Dad's a great man. But but the dad I had was pretty pretty severe. All I knew was, was you don't make mistakes. My job was to keep dad from getting mad. My job was a little bitty boy. You ever see that you know, curling at the Olympics where they put the block, you know, down the ice, and the guy with the broom in front of it just sweeping like crazy. That's kind of how I felt like I grew up, was with a broom. What will make Dad mad? And I'm on a tractor and all kinds of stuff, and just I'm just trying to... Well, in my own brokenness, anything I failed at was so humiliating. Anything I failed at was just so miserable. I had my dad's value system that if you don't make mistakes, you're good. And if you do stupid mistakes, then you're kind of worthless. Christ had to redeem me from that. Christ had to repair me. And so that being repaired, come on in, come on in. 
That being repaired by Christ is is and, and jump in the middle here. J- jump in the middle. I don't know why people avoid me like this. So thank you. Thank you. Um, but the first big rock is is you got to grow up. Most marriages are not having marriage problems. They're having personal problems that are turned with marriage. Second big rock is you have to know what marriage is for. Disney and everybody else basically says marriage is supposed to make you happy. You're sort of the center of the orbit, and somebody needs to orbit around you. And somebody needs to make sure their life looks after you and keeps you happy, and somebody needs to make sure that all of these things... Um, I think there's some more chairs in there. Just, just keep, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There's chairs there. But when I but when I go to the book of Ephesians and I go to First Peter and I go to the passages on marriage, I realize, wait a second, wait a second. And, and, and I'm quickly trying to summarize what I did today. But we're made in the image of God. And God has a relationship with us that is very much um, covenant relationship. It's not a conditional relationship. It's a covenant relationship. And God said, the same thing that you see me do, you get to do with another human being. And not only get to another human being, but you two will actually, even out of your own bodies, get to bring more human beings. And you get to live a covenant relationship. And so the question is not, is my marriage making me happy? That's a byproduct of something else. And yes, it will. This whole paradox of Scripture, you lose your life to find it. But but the real question is this. Am I living out with my spouse what what God is is living out with me? And so uh, marriages, if I were to draw a... If I were to draw a, a tree... That's a terrible tree, but... I draw it out, its roots are pretty simple. My marriage is sacred is sacred ground. And I get to partner with the living God to look after this son or daughter of the Lord. And, I, and that, the roots, the roots are this covenant here. The second thing that he says in Ephesians is marriage is actually sanctifying to you. It's where God rock, knocks off your rough edges. I thought I was a gentle, gracious, patient man until I got married. And then I realized I was far more selfish than I thought it was. And marriage is both the place that I, that I walk into my wife's life and try to be a blessing in her life, to meet her needs as, as, as God has designed her. But it's also the place that God says, Randy, you don't even know what you need. You actually need a little bit of a crucible. Let me use a quick illustration. When I first got married... And for a long time, I'm happy to help Julie with her housework <laughs> until she mentioned it. Oh, it just ruined everything. I was going to come home and do all the dishes and vacuum because I knew she was working and she was going to school. And I'm going to be. And then as I'm walking out the door, she said, "Hey, if you get home early, could you vacuum and wash?" Oh, it just ruined everything. <laughs> Julie, be better if you didn't say those things. Actually, truth wasn't. What about Julie? My love was more manipulative than I knew it. I wanted to be the star of my own show. And just to serve my wife was hard for me to do. And I had more arrogance than I knew. And her mentioning it didn't ruin one thing. Marriage is meant to pinch your feet. 
it's meant to pinch your feet. Because in the very process, you recognize, wait a second, Christ, for me to die to myself and live to you is a wonderful song to sing. But I actually have to go home and do this. And then God sort of winks and says, watch this. When you do these two things, here's the fruit of your marriage. You'll be deeply in love. You will be deeply in love. But these two things, you don't get the fruit by chopping out the tree. You don't get the fruit by going straight to the fruit. You get it because this is this stuff. So the first big rock you got to behold. Second big rock you got to know what marriage is for. Third big rock is you got to know ultimately that my affection for somebody really is as a result of my own, my own investment. Talked about that some. Fourth big rock, and we're not going to do this tonight. You're just in time. Fourth big rock is every every man leads loved a little different than a woman needs loved. From the time a little boy hits this world, any of you got little boys, you, you know this. They want to know, is anybody proud of me? Is anything that I do matter? Every little boy has a craving, a craving of, sweetheart, you, you have no idea how proud of you I am. You have no idea. My, my son when he was three or my son when he was 13 or my son when he's 41 if I actually want to love my son from the time he was three or 13 or anything else it was Troy you I'm so proud of the respect I have for you Troy man I, I wish my kids were raised by as well as a, a dad you are raising yours and my son knows his love primarily through a door that has to do with respect. When Troy was 13, gangly 13-year-old kid, doing his sports, whether it's basketball or whatever it was, he always used a fishing phrase. Untaught, never, never thought about it, but it was, Hey, Dad, come here. I want to show you something. Hey, Dad, I want you to see something. Why? He's fishing for a father's compliment. He wanted to play me one-on-one. And I could still beat him back then because I would cheat. And, and, but he wanted me to lean against the wall and while I huff and puff and say, nice job, Troy. You could have given up a long time ago. Nice job. Troy, you, you took me to the edge on that one. And the fact you didn't give up, wow, and fist bump kinds of things. I work with college kids constantly. And here's, I'll get tender on this if I'm not careful. Without exception, the young men who come and sit with me are wanting a blessing from an older man. Somebody tell me I'm out to something. Somebody tell me you're not disappointed in me. Somebody tell me you're proud of me, please. And my job as an old man working with college kids is to sit especially with young men and speak a blessing over them that their dads didn't do. Oftentimes, because their dad thought he might have get a big head, and I don't want my kid to get a big head, and all that kind of stuff. And and I don't know why, but dad's missed it. Every little girl that hits the world is a little different. From the time little girls are three, I don't care where they are, little girls want to know: Do I matter to you? Is there a place in your life for me? When my daughter was thirteen. My daughter would be shooting baskets. 
she was she, my six foot tall daughter, and she was third. No, I mean, she was six foot by sixth grade or fifth grade. Looked like an Amazon because everybody else in her class was pygmies. And, but she'd be out shooting baskets, and she'd come open the door, but she never used Troy's words. Troy always said, hey, Dad, I'm going to show you something. Hey, Dad, I want you to see something. My daughter always opened the door and always said this, hey, Dad, would you come out and shoot baskets with me? Hey, Dad, would you come stay with me while I shoot baskets? There was a relational sense of, of, of Dad, is there a place in your life for Julie, Julie wanted me to work hard for the church. She wanted me to work hard. And, and I, but Julie's number one thing, and she never verbalized it because she didn't know how to verbalize it. She wanted to know that she didn't have to compete against my work or compete against my interest or compete against my hobby. She didn't have to have all my time, but she needed to know where she... And I'm going to have such a full day, it just makes me you know, feel so bad. But, hun... This is what you mean to me. That part of it, and she didn't care how, how long my day was if that got sort of clarified. Every 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 woman basically needs a man who will emotionally invest in her. If a guy's not emotionally investing in his wife, you might as well marry another guy. Girls run in groups of three to five. Actually, three or four. <laughs> Apparently, the herd of elephants, I know where they are. Girls run in groups of, 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 of two to three to four. Guys run in groups of five to ten. You go, well, wait a second. I don't That's a gang. No, no, no. No, stay with me. If I had two tickets to a Spurs ball game and, and, and I say to a guy, find a good friend and take, and if you can't find a good friend, bring the tickets back, the average guy could go to five to ten other people and invite them and be very comfortable going with that. And if he couldn't find five or ten, you know, he might bring the tickets back and go, hey, I couldn't find anybody to go. If I go to a girl, and I'm, it could be a Spurs game, I have no idea, but if I've got two tickets or something and I say, hey, go find a good, a good friend and go with this, if he can't find anybody to bring the tickets back, she'll go to two or three and bring them back. Because a girl feels like she starves to death emotionally in a circle of five to ten. Mm-hmm. That's why junior high was such a drama for you girls. <laughs> Three friends could be together all school year, but one friend has gone over the summer, and the third one shows back up in the fall, and nobody knows where we are. We can't figure out because that sense of belonging is so deep. And the average guy takes his wife home, loves her immensely, brings her in, and includes her with his five to ten best friends. His mom and his dad and his brother, his co-worker, and and he can't figure out why she's, why emotionally she's still hurting. Because you've got a three-year-old little girl. The same way you're married to a three-year-old boy. <coughs> and, and this this woman needs to know that she matters to you. And every single day, you sort of start at the even ground again. Today you matter to me. And you do it with words like, I noticed and I appreciate never tell you and thank you. And sweetheart, I don't know how you do it. When a man is nurturing his wife and her value, it's pretty well matching with everything. That's what the scripture always says. Husbands, love your wives. Cherish your wives. Always use that language. Why? Because you're carving a place out in your life for her. Any of you raising little girls, 
you better raise your little girls different, a little bit different than you do your boys. You can do the same kinds of things. Don't misunderstand me that. But but a little girl, most important things I could do with a little girl is come set on a piano bench while she played scales. Because you matter to me. No scales and piano doesn't matter to me, but you matter to me. And there's a place in my life for you. Most important thing to my, my boy might be well learning teaching him to play catch in the backyard. But it was especially important that he didn't pick that boy to death. Troy, come on, you're not paying attention. Come on, Troy, get it together. Come on. I, I may need to correct him on things, but it was most important is, Troy, I couldn't be more proud to have you as a son. And Troy, no, right now you're having trouble with that, but that didn't change one ounce. Well, every woman is married to a three-year-old boy. And every and every guy is married to a three-year-old girl. About twelve or thirteen times in Scripture, the wife is addressed. About twelve or thirteen times in Scripture, the, the man is addressed. The husband is addressed, and they use different words almost every single time. Husbands see that you cher- cherish, nourish, love your wife. Almost every single time, it's wives see that you respect your husbands. Well, we immediately go to authority. That's not normally even what's going on. It almost always has to do with the language of love. I'm sure there's days my wife has to sort through all kinds of junk to find one thing that she can actually go, wow, because she's married to a flawed guy. But I could preach for, to a couple thousand people on a Sunday morning, and I didn't care what anybody else thought. As I'm going home, my wife would turn to me and go, Randy, I don't know how you do that every week. That was so helpful. Randy, that part there. And I know she had to sort through stuff, and I know I had bad sermons and all of that, but my wife is proud of me even on my failed sermons because she wasn't going to turn loose at me. That's how she loved me. So, so the big rock, honestly, is... Wholeness. The next big rock is covenant-type things. Third big rock is, is men you've got to nurture. And any guy who plays this American cardboard cutout that I don't have all these emotions, and I mean, all of that is just part of our brokenness. You nurture. Fourth big rock. Fourth big rock is what I'm going to try to cover tonight in 40 minutes or so. You have to be good at verbal problem solving. If you're not good at verbal problem solving, you're not good at marriage. You're not good at relationships. And so, um, grab your Bible. So, I want you to turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the, the fourth chapter. I want you to turn to Ephesians, chapter four. The book of Proverbs says over and over again. In fact, from about chapter 12, maybe in the middle of chapter 11, to about chapter 17 or 18 in Proverbs, every other verse is about the tongue. And it says it over and over again. The fool does not know how to control their tongue, how to use their tongue. And the wise person speaks words of life. I don't care how well-intended you are. If you're not good at verbal problem-solving, you're not doing good. I, I want to give you a roadmap, uh, a roadmap that saved my life. I came from a family that um, 
probably you don't want to duplicate what you grew up with. My grandfather, just a little sideline, my grandfather was born in 1885. My grandfather had three children uh, and a wife, and she died in childbirth of the third child. My grandfather went and took those three kids to his parents, dropped them off, and took off for 10 years and didn't come back. He lived out of a bottle. He did all kinds of stuff. He was, in, he was incredibly successful with his bottle. He did all kinds of things that may give him notoriety in, in a man's world, kind of Clint Eastwood, John Wayne kind of way, but he's a relational coward. My grandfather came back 10 years later, picked up three pretty angry children, as you may well guess, wrote his late wife's sister and said, I can't raise these kids, but I need to. Won't you come out and raise your sister's kids? And she said, well, I can't come live with you and not be married. And he said, okay, I'll marry you. She rode a train out to Kansas, western Kansas. They stopped the justice of the peace. They get married. They go to the house. And that couple had five children, and my dad's part of that five. My dad got kicked out of high school as a sophomore in high school for fighting never went back. My dad disappeared for five years and probably lived out of a bottle. Dad did everything. Dad, about age 20, joined the military as the military kind of straightened up, came back and married the valedictorian. Figure that one out. <laughs> and my dad is as good a man as I've ever met. But my dad was, was, was pretty lost my first set of years. He had integrity. But my dad didn't know what to do these emotions. And I watched a mom who was a Christian love my dad when he was so hard to love. And I watched my mom fight hard to respect her husband. And I watched this sequence out. And I was in college when my dad got it. And my dad broke. And my dad came to the Lord, and my dad's a great guy. He's an elder of the church for years. Dad's 90, and you know, so I want you to know I've seen firsthand what happens in the gospel. But here's what I know. My parents were not good in my years of being home verbally problem-solving. Mom avoided anything with confrontation, and Dad just blew up. So an avoider and a blow-upper, and that's what I had. Well, I grew up in that home and I have part of my mom and part of my dad. I hide the part that's explosive so you don't know it's there. But inside it's there. And I avoid until I blow up. This passage saved my life. Let's go through it. The first part of Ephesians 4 is how do you have harmony in the church? Ephesians 5 is how do you have harmony in the home? And smack dab in the middle is this section on the tongue. Smack dab in the middle is this, let's, let's talk about how we talk. <coughs> Let me throw this in just FYI. It's not fair. By the way, this today this class in Ecclesiastes actually brushed across this, the classroom I was in for Bible school. It's not fair. It's an old proverb uh, out of China, but it's not fair. But it takes 20,000 good steps to climb a mountain. You only have to miss one to fall off. The damage you can do with one foolish conversation will ruin all of 20 great conversations. You do 20 great conversations and when you do one idiot conversation and you do great damage. On a sideline, just just sideline, some of you, your kids struggle really believing you love them and you're going, that's crazy. 
I bragged on this kid all the way home. I love this kid all the way from school. I say all these things to this kid. And yes, I, I got in the, and we got in the garage, and, and, and I was just so ticked when I saw the garage because I told this kid not to, and I blew up, and, and I said these things to this kid. But this kid knows that all the things I said all the way home were so positive. This one thing I said in the garage that I probably shouldn't have said that way, but I was just ticked. That kid knows the balance. No, they don't. No, they don't. Because that kid believes that everything you said, you sort of meant, but when you got mad, they saw what you really felt. And they believe they got an exposure to what's deep inside. Well, that kid's no different than anybody. So you can say nice things to each other, but when you blow a conversation, somebody else goes, ah, I got a deeper insight to what they really think. This passage starts in in chapter 4 of Ephesians. I want to start with the 25th verse. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down where you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no more but must work doing anything useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, he goes back to speech again. Verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You may benefit those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and consider to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. I want to give you three rules to godly speech. Three rules that under any tension in your parenting, any tension in your marriage, and any tension with an employee. But these would be in particular the three things you have to do with a mate. These three rules to godly speech, I would call them three legs on a stool or three braids in a rope. When I give the three to you, I am confident that as I go through the three, not a single one of you is going, well, I never thought of that. Well, I'll be. I've never heard that before. No, you're going to nod your head and you're going to say, yeah, I know that and I try to do that and yeah, I know that and I try to do that and, and yeah. So, so you're going to go, Randy, this is pretty redundant. I, I, I think I know these three. Yeah, but, but I, I happen to know the culture we've raised in. And I know what our culture does. You do these three things, but you practice them separately, and they are worthless separate. They are worthless separate. They have to be tied together to have any... My wife might fix a recipe that has flour and vanilla and shortening, and together in the combination, pretty stinking good. But you let her serve vanilla on the vanilla on Tuesday, the shortening on Thursday, and 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 and, and the, you know flour or whatever word I used on on Saturday, we ain't got much. Because separate, they're worthless. The starting point I want to give you is that when I'm actually reconciled to the living God, and when I have redemption, and when I begin to speak with wisdom, as the proverb speaks it, here are three things that will always be present, and you have the right that any time I talk to you, these three things will always be here. And if these three things are not there, I, I owe you a turn back around and walk back in immediately and go, I wronged you. Wow, I wronged you. What you did, I think, was wrong. Two 
but I just did something worse because in my coming and addressing it, I just, I, I just left everything of the will of God behind. So what are the three? Verse 25 is pretty obvious. Number one, speak the truth. And speak the truth today. You're going, well, I never heard that before. Well, no, yes, you have, I know. Speak the truth. It's a crazy thing about truth. Some of the people that have the most, most trouble with it are Christians. And the reason we have the most trouble about it is because you get attention in your marriage, you get something that's, that's not quite right, and you have a decision to make, and you, in your mind it goes like this. Man, I, I can either speak the truth or I can be kind. I can either be kind or speak the truth. And, and, and I, I just don't know what I ought to do. And, and so as you're having the tension, should I be kind or speak the truth, you go, kindness feels more Christian. And so you build an altar of kindness, and the first thing you sacrifice is on the truth. What do you mean? Pretty easy. One of the ways we're dishonest is when we're trying to be kind. So, silly illustrations. I mean, my goodness, my apology for how, but, but the more silly they are, the more you, you kind of get them, I think. So your wife comes wearing an outfit out of the bedroom, and she says to you, what do you think? Does this make my butt look bad? <laughs> yes, 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 I'm, yes. Okay, let me tell you the things that run through your mind. Let's start with this one. Let's go, good grief. No, I don't like that very well, okay? I mean, that, let's just start with that assumption in there. But here's your problem. I told her that last week on something, and she hadn't talked to me since, okay? So I don't, I, I, I don't know how to say these things, and so I'll blow it, so it's just easier to nod my head and go, oh, no, it looks nice, dear. Or here's the second one. We're already 10 minutes late. And if I say no, I know what this is going to turn into. And so it's a little white lie. It's no big deal. It's, it's not the truth. But, but I, I go, no, it looks nice, dear. It looks nice. It looks nice. Meanwhile, on the inside, you're going, good grief, don't go any more garage sales. You know, that kind of a thing. You go somewhere that night, the world didn't end, nothing bad happened, you told a little white lie, Um, yeah, it looks nice, I like it. And it's not the truth, but it didn't hurt anything, right? I was a Christian husband. Well, here's the deal. God has never blessed one lie yet, and he isn't going to bless that one. And every lie eventually comes to surface. So the next night, I say next night, a month later, three weeks later, you're going somewhere that does matter to you. It's the new boss, it's the new deal, it's the deal, whatever. And, you, and, and she comes out wearing that outfit, and in this one you're not feeling quite as kind that day. You're feeling more, and, 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 and you go, hun, have you got something else? I, I mean, is there some, what, you don't like this? And not really. No, no not really. And let's, let's just go through her mind. Her mind immediately is, wait a second, one of the things I do is trust you to protect you to protect me, and you didn't protect me last time. You don't like it, okay? And you didn't protect me last time. That'll go through her mind. Here's another thing that goes through her mind. Really simple. Last time you told me you liked it, but you didn't really like it. You just pretended like you like it. So I can't trust your words. I have to read your nonverbals. And so suddenly you've introduced a new game in your family called 20 Questions. No big deal. She went back and changed. He went on. The next night she wears something out 
And she says, how's this look? And you go, I like it. She says, no, I can tell. You don't like it. No, I I do like it. No, I can tell the way you said it. And what you've done is you've introduced a whole way of communication in your family that I can't depend on you to tell the truth. That happens, by the way, on, on a gazillion things. Here's an imperative. You, you, you all know what a imperative is. And it's an imperative from the Word of God. Speak the truth. Now, we can't put a period there. There's more things we have to add to it. But speak the truth. I can't tell you how many times I've been bushwhacked in ministry. Because somebody thought they wanted to be kind, and they would say to me, oh, no, this is going well. I like this. I like that. Whatever the case may be. And then later on, I get exploded on. Well, I, you told me, yes, but I thought you knew. I thought you could tell. Wait a second. Wait a second. Those are minefields. Those are nets set over a hole. I thought you could tell. And so one of the things God just gives us protection in is you're going to become people who tell the truth. Now, we gotta, again, we're going to flesh all this out to make the whole thing, but, but are you a truth teller when you're trying to be kind? I've had people shake my hand at the door for 44, 45 years. Nice sermon, preacher. Nice sermon. And in the car, I knew good and well. They were going, oh, that was tough. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to caution you about being a Christian liar. I don't think those two words go together very well. Well, you go, what do I say at the back door? Well, we'll talk about that. But here's what you can't do. You can't call it Christian if it's not the truth. It's ungodly. The first place we tend to be dishonest is when we're trying to be kind. No, I'd love for you to come over and stay three weeks with your 12 kids. <laughs> love for you to do so. And then you're mad later on because people infringed on you. But you didn't tell the truth. Second place we tend not to tell the truth is when we're mad. We tend to tell, we just don't. Um, By the way, let me, I'm going to go back to the other one. There's one illustration I got to use because it just happens so often. This is on to being kind. The guy calls and goes, hey, and I hate to bother you. And we weren't. I wasn't going to buy this, but I was by Cabela's. <laughs> I, 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 I was by Bass Pro. Do you know they've got sixty percent off of that? I mean, and it's off for today. And they got two of them left. And I wasn't going to buy it, but it is such a good deal. My goodness, it, it, it's down to four hundred and seventy-five dollars. And it's normally, you know, and they're just going through the spiel. And what do you think? And the wife is sitting here going. We need that like we need a hole in the head, okay? And finances are tight. And you think there's $475, but in her mind, she's sitting there going, but I don't want to be a naggy wife. I don't want to be a wife who picks like that. I, I, my goodness. I, I, and so she tends to go, well, whatever you think, hon. Um, I mean, honestly, if you, if you think it's a good idea, I, you know, it, it's fine with me. You want to be an idiot, you know? And she hangs. Uh, notice, by the way, how old I am. Hangs at the phone. I don't think you hang up the phone like that anymore. I don't know what that is. She went through the Rolodex too, by the way. Um, but anyhow, that's another story. She hangs up the phone and she's going. I don't know why he thinks that, but I need her to be kind. 
A month later, your finances are tight and they're sitting around a table and, and it really is stressful trying to figure some finances out. And the wife says, not me, I just think we're going to have to start watching our money better and not do silly things. And he goes, I don't think we are. Tell me one thing. Well, that thing, that XYZ that you that you bought, you, that's not, wait a second, that's not fair. You said you didn't care. Yes, but I thought you knew. <laughs> I thought you would know. We do great damage a lot. You have my permission to speak the truth when you're trying to be kind. That's biblical. Here's the second one. Get to it. When you're mad. When you're mad. So let's run us again another scenario. I don't care what it is. They decided you guys are living from fast food restaurants way too much. You decide you're not eating healthy. You decide that you're eating in the car too much. And we're going to sit down and have real meals and we're going to eat healthy and da 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 da. And and part of the deal is I'll I'll fight like crazy to get a good meal on the table, but you got to fight like crazy to be home to actually eat it when it comes out of the oven. Good deal. And out of the last 14 days, three days out of 14, you've been really, really late. <coughs> 11 days, you did really well. And on that third time in 14 days, it is absolutely burnt to a crisp. She's a little embarrassed. I tried something and it didn't work. And if it, maybe if it, you got here in time and, and you didn't, da, 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 and she's just ticked. She's, she's hurt. Now, whether it should or shouldn't be, it's irrelevant in this story, but she's mad. When she comes in, what's the chances in our culture that she's going to say, sweetheart, can I tell you, I, man, the 11 times in the last two months that you fought hard, or the last two, you know, two weeks you've been here, those 11 times, well, that, I know it had to be hard for you to do that, but the three times you've not been here have made this kind of hard for me. She didn't say that. Why? Because when you're mad, you exaggerate your point, you make your point. That's a universal when you're mad, you exaggerate your point to make your point. And so what does she say? And again, I'm not, I'm not authorizing this. I'm just reporting the news. I can't count on you. You tell me you're going to be here and you're not going to be here. <coughs> you, you, you've not been showing up. And he's going, wait a second. I remember being rude to my boss. I remember fighting the traffic. You've given me no credit for the 11 times I fought like crazy. In fact, I offended somebody at work. And, 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 and all you see is my failure. But we exaggerate our point to make our point. Angry people almost never tell the truth. You have to be so aware of that. You tend to throw a punch that is more than the issue. We could go through, I, mean, I saw what time it is, I can't stand this one long. But one of the things that we're dishonest on, when I was a kid, when my dad was chewing me out, one of the things I remember is that's not fair. That's not fair. Yes, you're right about that, but... But you're not right about all this, and you lumped it all together. Some of you are crushing your kids. Because when you begin to get them on about that thing, it's not about that thing. It, it picks up other stuff. <coughs> and your child doesn't have a truthful parent. So many illustrations you could go with that. But here's what he says. Speak the truth. You've got to make yourself speak the truth. There's a third time we tend to be dishonest. And that's when we simply withhold honesty. That's an imperative. He doesn't say when you speak, speak the truth. He says speak the truth. 
so what happens? Pretty simple stories. Let me, this isn't fair, I'll pick on you since you're here. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's make you, you, you worked for me. And in working for me, I'd like to be a decent guy, but you have some big project, you spent tons of emotional energy on it, you have lots of, of emotional investment in it, and I just walked all over and crushed it and wasn't even aware I did. I mean, I'm just, I'm a guy, okay? And, 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 I, and I ran right by it, and, and I hurt your feelings because you had something here, and I was pretty clueless, and I sort of stepped on the tulip and went on. You went to the bathroom and cried. That, 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 wow. Wow. You had a biblical obligation to come talk to me. How do I know? Right here. Speak the truth. And speak the truth today. Don't let the sun go down your anger. But you didn't. You were thinking that big fraud, he stands up and preaches on Sunday morning, and then lo and behold, this is how he treats people. And Or maybe you're thinking, my goodness, I don't know what to say. I'm just so upset. I don't know what to say. I don't want to make it worse, but I am so upset. So you come back, and I notice you're quieter that afternoon. I say, everything okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a lot on my mind. Just a lot to get done. Meanwhile, you're thinking, you idiot, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> that night, little speeches played all the way home in the car. Speeches you would give. Speeches you'd like to give. The next morning, you're quiet when you come in. And I'm, you know, you okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, i just got a lot to do. You withheld the truth from me. I want you to notice what he says in this text about bitterness. Did you notice we that bitterness is talked about here? Don't you let bitterness have a, a, a root? Don't give the devil a foothold about bitterness. Here's a here's a reality that for this is a strong statement, but I think it's right. It comes from several Christian psychologists that I know. The number one source of of bitterness for Christians is truth withheld. Number one source of bitterness for Christians is truth withheld. So when she didn't, when she didn't say what she needed to that day, when she thought about it that night, when she thought about it the next day, three things happen with bitterness. The emotions go up, the logic goes down, and the facts get fuzzy. You let me have a little root of bitterness in my pocket, I guarantee you the emotions go up, the logic goes down, and the facts get fuzzy. So three days later, she comes in and said, Randy, we probably need to talk. And her voice is even quivering a little bit. And say, well, fine, come on. And I can't figure out why her hands tremble just a little bit. I mean, we need to have a conversation, but what? what's, what's the quiver in the voice? What's with the hands shaking? Because where bitterness is present, and, and maybe she didn't want the word bitterness. She's going to use the word hurt. Resentment, bitterness, all, all same words. What happened is you give bitterness even 12 hours and it grows into something else. The emotions go up. Number two, the logic goes down. Remember that. Everybody knows that if you meet an alcoholic, that his coordination is impaired in his alcoholism when he's drunk. What you don't know is the resentment and hurt and bitterness that I that I keep and I did not deal with in an appropriate biblical way impairs the logic. So we're having this conversation, and again, I, I you know, it's not fair to pick on you, but 
but we're having this conversation and go, oh, I am so sorry. And she said, well, you, you did this, this, this. I'm going, whoa, 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 I'm so sorry. That was not what I was intending to do. And I say, you may not agree with me, but can I at least tell you what I was trying to do? And I give you my ABCD logic. And I say, now, you may not agree, but do you at least understand it? And, and, and you go, no, I don't. No, I don't. And you give me, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be insulting, but you give me your Q, M, L, and, and Z logic. Why? Because resentment destroys your ability to be logical. just always does. It goes to the soul. And here's a third one. Hey, I get to use the word Rolodex. I'm with it. Some of you know what Rolodex is. Here's a third one. The facts get fuzzy. Everybody has a jailhouse law in your mind. We have a self-bias. So can you see this Rolodex full of cards? Let me spin it fast enough, and what it will do is it will throw out anything that hurts my case, and it will embellish anything that helps my case. And so we're sitting here, and, she, and, and she's going, you know, last Monday when you did this and said this first, and you said, and I'm going, wait a second, hang on, hang on. I, actually, I think you were the one who said first, and you'll go, that is not how it happened, and don't you tell me it was, because I've thought about it every single day since then. You've even needed it. No, the fact that you thought about it every single day actually probably means you're not telling the truth and don't even know you aren't. Many of you in this room have issues that have been there so long. You say, well, I know what it is. He never sees it. I always see it. I da 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 No, no, no. You have absolutely, you have tainted. You have tainted something. Your marriage can handle a lot of things. Your, your marriage can handle bad health. Your, your marriage can handle poverty. Your, your marriage can handle any number of things. Your marriage can't handle bitterness. And Christian psychiatrists tell us, psychologists tell us, the number one source of Christians is honesty with hell. So what do I do? The biblical truth is you speak the truth and you speak the truth today. Would everybody agree? Look at that. Verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. By the way, he's been talking about this body, so I, I, I wouldn't get hung up on the word neighbor, but for we're all members of one body, and in your anger do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. All of that's in the section on speaking the truth. Yeah, but I can't say anything because I'm mad. I'm mad. Uh, I get that. But you've got to have enough wholeness in Christ that I can be angry. Anger is not wrong. Be angry. Don't sit in your anger. Anger's not wrong. In general, let me kind of park here just a little bit longer. I don't know how you grew up, and every culture is different. In fact, this and I were, we were talking about cultural differences a minute ago, just, just a little bit. The family you came and grew up in probably taught you to fight one of three ways. We tend to fight these ways when we're angry. These are the inappropriate, by the way. Um, one, one way you fight when you're angry and you speak the truth is you're like the, the Navy ship that pulls up to the island and it has all the guns and you just start pulling them. Boom, 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 boom. I'm just bombarding Boom, 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 and another thing. Boom, 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 boom. And you start to take your ship and pull away and find two more shells in the bottom and turn around and come back and go boom, boom. And, and, and you, some of you say, well, that's, that's my, that was my dad. That was my mom. And it's horrible. It is. It's, it's, it's a horrible way. 
It's ungodly. So some of you say, well, I'm not that way. That's unsophisticated. I'm more like a sniper. I don't really say anything. I just kind of go along until the right opportunity and zing. It's far classier. <laughs> of course, it still leaves a dead body in the ditch, but, but that's, that's another point, you know. No, it's, it's an ugly way. And it's, it's honestly, it's not, it's honesty withheld and bitterness bringing it in. The third way we fight is I need you to picture more of the, the days of the castles. You don't fire a single shot. You just starve them out. Just siege. You can capture a castle and never fire a shot. You just shut down and withdraw. You okay? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Are, are you sure you're all right? No, 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 I'm good. You can take the kiss tomorrow or am I going to? That's our conversation. Do you put the dog out or do I need to put the dog out? There's nothing we need to talk about. No, 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 why? No. Don't make something out of just when I'm quiet, don't make something out of it all the time. And basically on the inside, it's you're not worth talking to right now. I am so angry, I am so mad, you are so wrong. The Lord cuts through every one of those and said, Randy is a converted man made in my image. You don't get to do different things than I would do. Randy, here's number one, speak the truth. If you'll speak the truth today, here's what it'll do. It'll keep nonverbals becoming from the way, no, I can tell the way you said it. It will keep bitterness away because things that offended you didn't get a chance to grow. They didn't become. And speaking the truth is a protection for them and you. They're not misled. And you're also valuing them. So all the things run together. Now... Here's the thing we've got to make sure that we're very clear on. The fact that you're told to speak the truth and speak the truth today, still at its core, does not mean truth stands alone. Verse 29 and verse 32 are going to weave two things. And if you speak truth alone and you say, well, at least I speak the truth, run to the hills, okay? Run for your life, children. Truth without other things added to it is hostility. Truth, truth without other things put to it is harshness. Nobody in the room is ever told biblically, just speak the truth. Any of you guys remember uh, Robert Gurwell? Robert Gurwell um, was, was down in San Antonio uh, years ago, so I didn't know how, who might have known. But Bob Gurwell, um, Bob was um, in charge of all the maintenance chemicals when I was back in college. He was the guy that, that had, I mean, it's so different on how you did cleaning back then and everything else. But this whole wall would be made up of, of chemicals. Pint jars, pint jars, pint jars, pint jars, maybe a quart jar every now and then, pint jars. And then this three-gallon jar. Well, I came from a pretty science background, my, and so I'm curious about chemistry things. And, and so I'm just standing there talking to Bob, and I'm going, Bob, what's the three-gallon one for? And Bob said, oh, that's, that's nothing. I can't use it for anything. So you have three gallon of that and pint jars of everything else. What, what, what do you mean? And then he kind of winked and said, it's way too caustic. I couldn't use it on anything by itself. I take this jar and mix with it to do that job. I take this one and mix with it to do that job. And I realized it's just base chemical. 
but it's not everything you can use by itself. Truth is your base chemical, but it can never be applied only by itself. It has to be the starting spot, but it has to have other things put to it. So what do you put to it? Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment that you may give grace to those who hear. That's New American Standard Bible. I promise you, this stuff I had to memorize years ago because this matters. Here's what he says. When you speak the truth, don't you dare ever speak any garbage words. Only you speak only speak words that edify or words that build up. What? what? Yeah, I know you're hurt. I know you're mad. I know you're discouraged. I know you're upset. But you speak words that set people higher. Don't you speak words? Well, I don't know how to do that. I know how to pop somebody's balloon. I know how to burst their bubble. I know too big for their britches. I, I you know, I, I know all kinds of words about here's where you think you are. I'm going to put you down here where you really are. I don't know how you be hurt and mad and upset at somebody, and so I take you and set you higher. I don't know how to build you up. So because we don't know how to do them together, we just separate them. I'm going to go back to you again. You're going, why did you? So you work for me, and you come in 10 minutes later in the morning. 10 minutes later in the morning. I am so laid back, it wouldn't bother me for a long time. But there is a day, I embarrass easy, all kinds of things. There's a day we dropped the ball. There's a day something went wrong. And the day that, that I got upset that she's coming in 10 minutes late is the day I have a biblical obligation to go talk to her. The day I knew something was bothering me and something was wrong in the situation that day. But let's say I didn't. So I didn't say it the day I should have. What I noticed the next day, she comes in 10 minutes late. And the third day, she comes in 10 minutes late. And each time, it irritates me a little bit more. I violated the scripture already. Something happened on that fourth or fifth day. And by the way, I'm already ticked at her. I noticed she doesn't handle people at the counter as well as I thought she did. And she didn't do this as well. Once you're upset about something, it could be getting dust bunnies and start gathering other things. I noticed she didn't type as well as I thought. And, and did you, you just begin to go, you begin to pick up irrational things. But something happened and I kind of barked at her a little bit. Now I'm a Christian guy and so my barking wouldn't be horrible, but, but I barked at her. I, I, I felt bad. I felt bad. But I told her what she needed to hear. Still her fault. If she'd have just come, I gave her hints. I got feeling bad about it that night, so the next day she comes in and she's here on time. And on her desk, what have I got? I've got a really sweet note. Hey, I, you know, if, if, if I was a little hard yesterday, sorry about that. You sure mean a lot to us, and I sure appreciate what you do around here. And, and that's terrific. You know, you mean a lot. And, 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 I, and, and I have a, a, a note of edification. Would you all agree? I mean, can you see the pattern, how that would be easy to do? I'm, I'm going to balance it out in my mind. I was a little snappy at her, but I balanced it out. No, I didn't. Maybe if it only happened once, but no, I didn't balance it out. What I actually did is I used an abuser's pattern. Somewhere within five, ten blocks of here, a five-year-old girl gets slapped way too hard tonight by a mama and thrown in bed. Somewhere tonight, a mama's going to scream at a little kid, this is your fault, you brought this on yourself, I told you, and she's going to slap her way too hard and throw that little kid in bed. That little girl sobbing and crying, and that mama's going to walk out of here going, 
You're not going to make me feel bad. That's not me. That was you. That, that's on you. That's on you. This is that, that's you. But meanwhile, that mom walks out going, am I a bad mama? Am I a bad mama? Oh, my bad mama. And all night, she sort of thinks about that. So what she do? Tomorrow morning, she wakes that little five-year-old girl up and go, good morning, sweetheart. Good morning. Let's have a better day today. How would you like to go to McDonald's and we'll get breakfast there and you can play in the balls and the nets and how that be? The little girl's happy too. because So they go get breakfast and the little girl's playing up in the, in the balls. The mama's saying, see, I'm not a bad mama. Bad mamas don't take their kids to McDonald's. Yeah, they do. Because what you do is you compensate. You compensate and try to balance out what is inappropriate. There are men in this room that you're not very gentle when you talk about something honest and you tend to fire. But you're very quickly trying to balance it out later with something. Book of James says out of the same mouth can both blessing and cursing flow. Well, technically it can Technically, it can. In our part of the country, we have a lot of one-man coal mines. Back in the Depression, these old ranchers and farmers would find a vein of coal and just hand dig a well, or hand dig a, a little cave back in, getting just small amounts of coal. Most of the year, it's good water that seeps out of that. A month or two out of the year, it's it's bad water. Your cattle can drink out of it, but your horses probably can't because it'll actually bother them. So if there's a one-man coal mine on your place, what you do is you fence it off. Well, technically, you could open it up when it's good water and close it when it's bad water, but nobody does that because nobody knows when it's going to be what, so you just fence it off all the time. I think there's a water fountain out here, isn't there? Mm-hmm. If I told you there's a water fountain out here, and hey, you need to know 95% of the time it's good water. <laughs> but 5% of the time, we can't exactly figure out why, but 5% of the time it's siphon some sewage out of the stools. <laughs> but don't worry, 95% of the time it's really good water, and we always try to put up a sign that says good water or bad water, and we only try to fence it off on the 5% of the time. Well, would any of you ever drink out of it ever? Well, of course not, because you don't know when it's going to be what, and no. If you are the person who blows up when you say something, and then later on, by your hard work or by your meal you made or by the compliment or by the help you gave or the garage you cleaned or I, I filled your car with gas, or I, and so, but I balanced it out. No, you didn't. You used an abuser's pattern. And when you do that with your children and you do that with a the mate, they just start fencing you off. You're going to say nice things and it's going to go one ear and out the other because mom does those things. But stick around for 20 minutes and it'll be the other direction. Guess what dad does? Dad does this. And you've lost all credibility because you lost one simple truth. I cannot be two different people. You are always one person to me. And you can count. I will speak the truth. But with it will be accompanied this. You matter to me and you will be set higher. I will not destroy you in my anger. I will not diminish you. Whoa. I don't know how you do that. Our culture doesn't know how, so we don't. We separate. Here's the third one. And I'll, by the way, I'm going to come to the how here in a minute. At least a little, my portion of the how. The third one is verse 32. Verse 32 says, Be tender hearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
The word humility is not there, but here's a section on the tongue that he's been talking about bitterness and rage and anger and how you speak. And he said, don't you ever be more than that far from the memory of how much Christ has forgiven you. Humility. Years ago, I followed a, a mom and a little girl around a grocery store. It sounded like I was stalking. I really wasn't stalking them. I just happened to be following the same aisles. And the little girl was kind of misbehaving in a few times. And the mom got on to her little girl and probably needed to. But something bothered me about how she got on to her. And it wasn't abusive, but something bothered me. And I, and I was restless going, that, that, that's not right. But I couldn't figure out what it was. That night I had a marriage counseling at my office. And I had a husband who, was, who had put up with some of his wife's nonsense. Uh, honestly, it, it was pretty bad nonsense. And that night he confronted her and everything he said to her was true. And something bothered me. I couldn't figure out what it was. Something didn't fit. And he was right, but it, it bothered me. I went through a spell that I woke up probably 3.30 every morning. And everybody from church seemed to be standing beside my bed. And I would get up and read, or I would get up and pray between 3.30 and 4, 4.30. I might go back to bed, but I, but I was up for an hour. I was reading in Proverbs at that morning. So that night, these two things happened. The next morning, I'm reading Proverbs, and it hit me as in Proverbs. Because in Proverbs, it teaches that the absence of humility spoils everything. And what was bothering me was this. It was when the mom got on the daughter, it's I am right and you are wrong, which was true, but it missed. There was no humility. There was no sense of sweetheart. I know it's not easy being five. My mama had to get on me too. There was no sense of sweetheart. Um, I love you and you're more than your failure. And I'm so, it was not, it was I'm right and you're wrong. That night in the marriage counseling, what bothered me was the guy was right but there was no sense of, sweetheart, you've forgiven me for so many things and it's not hard for me to forgive you for this. But, but sweetheart, you're wrong on this. And sweetheart, I have my own blind spots, but you need to trust me on this one. This is hurting us. There was no humility. Where, you, where humility is absent, truth is tainted. So here's the three godly rules. Randy, if you're going to live with Julie, and she's going to be classier than I am at all points, but here's what she has the right from me. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to set you higher. I'm going to protect your dignity. Your dignity is going to be protected. That's a key phrase. Your dignity and worth and value is protected. And you have the right to hear humility. That concept basically goes like this. Then in any tongue of tension, you immediately need to see three hooks. Here, can you see them? And I have an obligation to open my mouth. And I have an obligation to speak these three things. And I know this is a little phony here in a classroom, but, but if you're coming in 10 minutes late... The day it bothers me, and I realize it bothers me, that's the day i got to sit in my chair in my office and pray just a little bit, and I've got to sit. And I walk back out and say, hey, when you get a chance, can, can we visit? You say, well, sure. So you come on in, 
and you sit down and I say, hey, I want to be upfront with you. I caught myself upset at you today over the coming in 10 minutes late. I'm telling the truth. But I also want you to know working with me can't be any piece of cake. And you've forgiven me for enough stuff, it's not hard for me to forgive you. Edification and humility. But we probably need to figure this 10-minute thing out. Now, this may not still go well with her, but as... But, but I have an innocence in this now. When I'm talking to Julie, there's no doubt about it. There's occasionally, Julie and I are both storytellers. We're both communicators. I mean, not very good for me, but, but and every now and then, Julie will use an illustration that I go, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure it puts, and this is rare. This is so rare. But an illustration that I feel like left me in a funny light. Because we're all looking for, I mean, Julie and I fight over illustrations. Something happens in our family going, you can't use that. That's my illustration to use. You know, this kind of thing. But I have an obligation to go, hon, you protect me better than I'm ever deserved to be protected. And hon, I don't have any right to be fussy. And hon, I know I've preached up front and I'm confident I've slobbered into things that had to hurt you. But I need to tell you and use that illustration today. I, I kind of felt a sting on that one. And that made me me. I don't know. But I need to tell you that bothered me. Well, what, what have I got? I'm trying to hit three hooks. I'm trying to be honest, build up, and, and humility. Those are required. Everybody in this room, if you see my three hooks, if that does, it means you've got problems yourself. But if you can see my three hooks, <laughs> here's what I know. Everybody is good at one end or the other. For some of you, truth is no problem. Man, I'm going to call it the way I see it, and da 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 da. Okay, okay, great. But you're not very good at edification and humility. Well, it's not my fault. People are thin-skinned. No, yes, it is. We live in a community, and we're, we're people. And you have an obligation. And so, for some of you, you've got to learn to speak edification and humility. You have no right to bully. In fact, if I'm on this, by the way, one of the truth is it's very possible that I actually am, don't have an opinion about what the truth is. I'm just controlling. I just like things done my way. I don't have the right to say anything because the truth is, is to walk to my wife and say, you know what, that bothered me, but it's not because of what you did. It's because I am too controlling. It's because I'm not healthy. And hun, when I responded the way I did to what you did, you need to know that wasn't about you. That's... I, I have way too controlling of a nature. I'm sorry. But honesty. Others of you, man, you're really good at edification and humility, but it would take you three days to tell the neighbor their house is on fire because you just can't get yourself to say it. It's just so hard. I just don't want to do it. You do great damage. You've got to sit down with somebody and go, sweetheart, you know I love you, and I avoid conflict, and I avoid conflict because I hated how it happened with my grandpa and my grandma, or I hated how it happened this, or, but I have wronged you. And it doesn't mean I'm always right. I just got to tell you how I see it. But I have to tell you that. And I wronged you yesterday. For some of you, it's really simple. You got to walk back in a house after you drove out the driveway and walked back in and go, hun, I can't go to work this morning like that. That was crazy. I'm, like, I'm so sorry. I took a shot at you. That was just so wrong. Yes, what you did. Yes, what you did. I think we need to talk about. But I did something worse. I was beginning to introduce bitterness in my life. I, I, 
I did to speak the truth with edification and humility. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And can we start over again on this discussion? Those three things become almost a lighted path for every discussion. Your parenting will change. You don't have the right to fire at a five-year-old kid. Well, I'm just so busy. No, no, no. no. Sweetheart, that's wrong. I love you more than you'll ever know, and you're more than your mistakes. And sweetheart, I need people to forgive me. But sweetheart, we can't do that ever again. And you get a spanking or whatever, however you do it. But it's got to have all three. Your marriage has to have all three. The reason we don't feel emotionally connected with each other is because these three things get broken. You want to drop the glass? I've been to hospitals a lot where that glass is, and I've watched couples try to touch each other through the glass. I've watched them want to hold their baby through the glass. I've been to jails on the outside where, <laughs> where they want to hug, and all they can do is press up against the glass. Some of you live in marriages that you're ready for the glass to come down. I think this is part of the mechanism, that glass coming down. You let a man come in and say, Sweetheart, I've grown up and always lied to myself that I thought I had less emotions than other people and I only had four or five emotions. I have, that's not the truth. I don't even know what they are myself. I, I have the same emotions everybody else has. I just, I just call it personality, and that's a lie. Truth is, I've never learned how to go into that room. And sweetheart, I need you to teach me. And hun, a great deal of what you get from me doesn't have the humility or the edification it needs because I haven't been faithful to Scripture. Those are the three patterns. Um, I have the couples that I do premarital counseling with memorize those texts. Memorize them. Because I don't want you to remember some stupid talk Randy gave. I want you wrestling with Scripture. I want you waking your wife up the next morning going, Hun, I was so wrong last night. I shut down. And you lived with a quiet guy who was moody. And, Hun, I didn't tell the truth and I didn't edify and you didn't hear any humility. I was wrong. I just shut down. Does this make sense? Let my people go is also biblical. What time is it? 6.14. I've got two minutes, three minutes. Any questions? I, I know this is inadequate, but two or three minutes. Any questions you want to ask? Anything that didn't make sense? Anything? So when you miss the opportunity to say things now, how do you put it? If you miss that opportunity, what do you, what do, you do? you go back days later and... I, I think you do. I don't, I don't think you go back days later to straighten them out. You go back days later with confession. I, I, want to, I want to say this very clear. Not everything that passes through our head has to be said. Okay, make sure I hear that. <laughs> because a lot that passes through our head is our own foolishness. A lot that passes through our head is our own controlling nature. So I don't want to go, hey, I thought something. I need to make sure they hear it. No, 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 no. There's, there's a chance I need to go worship with the Lord. And there's a very good chance we might have a discussion today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to your deal in a second. It's very possible to go, wow, you know what? I had, 
I am so frustrated, but I don't know what to even do with my frustration. I deeply love you and would never want to wound you, and, and yet I, I don't know that I have my own act together. Can we meet for breakfast in the morning and talk about this? I, I'm okay. You don't say, hey, can we meet later? Later is just throwing something off and we'll do something. Can I meet you at noon tomorrow? Tomorrow night when you get home, can we talk through this? I'm not telling you you have to have a discussion, but but you cannot go hide the broccoli under the plate without it beginning to turn rancid. And so that's that's the first thing I would say. Here's the second one where you were at. There are times I need to go back and say to Julie, "Hun, I didn't handle last weekend well. I am so sorry. We don't need to go plow that ground again, but I just need you to know when it comes up again, I want to handle it better. I, I didn't do well. I, I do think it's a place to walk in after work and go, "Hun, I need apology. This morning was just not... Yes, it bothered me when you said that, but that's honestly beside the point right now. I mishandled a Christ-like response, and I made it worse. And I'm so sorry. So I do think there's times you introduce, but it's not to, hey, we need to go back and talk about what happened there as much as it is, I want to handle it in the future better. You own your own stuff. The further you get from an incident that happens, the less likely you can accurately discuss that, that, that issue three weeks ago. Probably that's a little water under the bridge, but I've got to own my part of how I mishandled the emotional response to it. Yes? On the point where you say you bring it up to your spouse, let's talk about it tomorrow or later, mm-hmm. and you go to your spouse, and not now. Yep. Not now. What do you do? Honestly, that is a universal issue, and I get that. I mean, it's, it's universal. Here's what we can't be as bullies. There's a dignity that people get, and they get the dignity to be wrong. So if Julie wants to talk to me, and I don't handle it well, Julie's job is not to just get a bigger club continually and finally make me do it, okay? At some point in time, what Julie's got to do is realize the Holy Spirit's at work, and yeah, yeah, I've got to do this. I may miss a flight, but we got to do this, okay? One of the most profound moments in my life occurred with a Muslim couple in my office. And God gave an insight that I hadn't seen in Scripture, and it's Him that did it. The Muslim couple came into my office, and you're going, what's this got to do with marriage? Just stay with me. It's not not about even their marriage. They came in and said, your Jesus is not as good as you guys think He is. Now, they were refugees from Iraq that we had helped, and they were beginning to to fall in love with Christian people, but they didn't want to do as Jesus. And they went and visited their Amman, and their Amman sent them back to go, hey, their Jesus isn't as good as you think. And and he used, for example, your Jesus um, didn't end slavery. He never spoke against slavery. Well, I said, okay, great. Let's open the Bible. Let's just begin to read through. What does he say about slavery in the New Testament? Well, he says, serve your slaves. Masters, serve your servants. Wash their feet and those kinds of things. And as they're reading through the text, they start laughing over that. Well, that would end slavery. You can't have, I mean, they just begin to laugh and go, you, you, and you're going, you're right. All of life makes changes. And here's where I'm headed. All of life makes changes with force. We use armies. We use bullets. We use ballots. We outvoted you. There's more of us than there is of you. We use the force of personality. I just dominated you, and, and, and I won. We use logic. See how wrong you are? We use force. Five, six, seven, eight roads, machetes, anything else, force to make changes. 
There's one solitary road that goes the other direction. One solitary road with one solitary man who said, you love your enemy. You do good to those. You take a towel and a basin and you serve people to change. Julie's never changed me by force of personality. Julie has changed me because she's loved me. Now, she still told the truth and said things to me. Randy, you're too good of a man to act that way. Randy, I believe in you too much for you. Randy, I think you got lost on that. So she said things to me like that, but Julie has loved me and served me to change. Jesus dies for a world that needs change. We don't use force with one another. We don't bully one another. Don't bully your kids to the right positions. I'm talking about your your older kids especially. You don't bully them. You don't nag them. At some point in time, the number one change agent of the Christian life is we love and serve people to change. Now, do we have to discipline our kids when they're under the age? Sure we do. No doubt about it. But it's never revenge. It's never retribution. It's because I love you enough that we're going to put discipline in here because I care for you, but it has humility with it. It has gentleness with it. It has firmness. Firmness and gentleness are not opposites. But with my spouse? No. I can beat Julie physically up. I'm bigger and stronger. You go, I mean, that's wicked. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I can also, just by the nature of how I'm kind of wired, I can out-debate Julie. Doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just quicker. I mean, she's sharp. Oh, my, she's sharp. But I can beat her in a quick argument because my mind bounces and goes that way. And, and, and so I know the, the, the chess game I can get her in that I can win. Except I never followed Christ. You serve people to transition. You love them. So, yes, you ask for things. You encourage things. But there's not a husband in this room who ought to turn to a wife and goes, I'm not giving up till you end up where I want you to end up at. No, hon. We all stumble in many ways. And, hon, I think you're stumbling in this. But, hon, you've loved me through my stumbling, and I'm hanging on. And, hon, you don't have to measure up to everything for me to love and serve you. There's just a gentleness that goes with this. And so, no, we don't bully people to the right position. You say, yeah, but my spirit is is dying. There are some things I take to the Lord, and, Lord, you'll have to be my healer, and you'll fight this battle. Will you take care of me? And the Lord does that. Any easy questions? <laughs> Anything else? May the Lord bless you, keep you. I'm not sure what that blessing is. Thank you, guys.